Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way. Because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together. And so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions. But, you know, as I've said before, there is no such thing as a wrong opinion. Opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. The exchange of views, fair debate, no cancelling, no interrupting, no aggressive responses. We want to hear what people have to say. Whatever side you're on. And the listener, the consumer with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. Good morning, good morning, good morning. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. We've got a great lineup today. Of course, wonderful to have you along. Oh, I can't wait till we can communicate better somehow. I do love your text. I do love your emails. It would be good to be able to talk, what do they say, in real time. So it's immediate. And you feel more part of us. Ah, that would be a blessing. Coming up, we have Mary Hobbs, the wonderful writer, nurse, outdoor person, writer, photographer, all-round wonderful woman who writes extensively and speaks for us about our COVID experience. She's on today. Also, our favorite professor, guru, doctor, Wally Richards, talking gardening. Oh, we're going to find out, should we do be doing a little gardening over the holiday break? And what do we need to do to keep our plants watered? You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Give us a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Thank you indeed for coming along for a listen. RCR is on a mission to revive honest media, and now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions, along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, that's delivered to your email box every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio members to see how you can join the mission 
that's making a difference. Making a difference. You're on Radley Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh my goodness, I can't believe last show of the year. And I could think of no one better to share it with than our favorite and most beautiful writer, Mary Hobbs. And she's kept us going with not just her insights and we've been able to learn from her, but also her beautiful writing, where when you're reading it, you feel as though you're sort of being touched. And her books and her photographs of the histories and the places of which she writes, they're magnificent. I can't recommend them highly enough. Merry Christmas, Mary. Oh, Merry Christmas to you, Rodney. And you happen to be a living treasure for New oh, Zealand and the world. So. <laughs> we can have a mutual love club, can't we? <laughs> I we have all can. these I have all these women now that I have on and we all love each other so much. And um <laughs> it's been this um experience, hasn't it, that we've all been through that has Absolutely. driven us away from hitherto trusted institutions. And sometimes we ourselves have been driven out. And then we've found these beautiful people. And we almost discover love, not in a romantic sense um, of man and a, a husband and a wife, but a, 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 a love of their bravery, their courage, who they are, and the fact that they understand you and listen to you. It's so true. It's absolutely true. And it's kind of like it's kind of like a closeness of the human spirit, I guess. And and we we often don't even have to talk because we already know. And it, it's you're part of the same tribe. In a, in, a, in a spiritual sense, really. And it's a closeness that is, um, I guess I, could, I would probably describe it as um, finding a lot of really special soulmates all at yes. the same time. I've made great friends with Kathy Jameson. She's the one that's looking at the adverse effects, and she rang me yesterday, and I found myself chatting to her like, she was my oldest, longest, bestest friend, and we've never met. And yet, Isn't that great. And 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 it's because we're on the same page, and she can say crazy stuff to me, and I can say, "Oh, you think so?" And you say, "Oh no, maybe that's not right." And then I can say crazy stuff, and there's no offence taken. There's no dancing <laughs> around on the head of a pin, and it's the same oh. with you. And then. I find this with our listeners. Our listeners, I don't regard them as as listeners. I regard them as a community of which we got the pleasure of linking up. And I can't wait till we exactly. develop the ability to sort of have a better back and forth with listeners because most of my interviewers, interviewees, I don't know, come from listeners. Isn't that amazing? It's all these yeah, interesting people that are listening to the show. Now, tell me, I know a little bit about writing, and I can write reasonably well. 
And I know a lot of people who are exceptional writers. I've never met anyone that finds it easy. That is to say, to write well is extremely hard work and takes a lot of time. Anyone can bash an article out. Anyone can write an opinion piece for the Herald, and you could literally write it in 15 minutes. But to write something beautifully, well-crafted, and providing information, that's an effort. That's what you do. You put a lot of effort into your articles. You don't, you don't, you can't deny it. They're wonderful. They're beautiful, beautifully written um, articles. And my question to begin with you, by the way, to follow um, Mary Hobbs, you go to the Daily Telegraph, which is the new um, online newspaper, really, which publishes all the stuff that the Herald never would. And the best, you you couldn't see anyone of your ability writing in the Herald nowadays, Mary, but why do you do it? Because I know that's a big effort that you put in. Well, <clears throat> I write to let people know the truth. And I feel that it's absolutely crucial that more and more of us speak up. And I write to remind people that it is they who have the power, not these unelected offshore cabals. There are very few of them, yet there are 7 billion of us on the planet. So it is those of us who have the power and who exercise it by speaking out. There is no need for violence, but there is a desperate, desperate need for people to speak up and to say no, no more. And also, what I try to do with my articles is remind them of who they truly are, Rodney. And that is mind, body and spirit. They're not just physical. There is that, you know, that sort of magical, amazing, wonderful, spectacular essence of the human spirit. And that's what you're talking about being in communication with when you talk about your... Um, for want of a better word, you you found your tribe, you know, and mm. and it's just that um, that link up. It's a it's um, it transcends the physical, and that's what you see in the most magical moments of living. You know, the light in someone's eyes, the love between each other, whether it's friend or you know romantic, the kindness, generosity, courage, fortitude, and strength. You know, you can have these amazing moments. And and you can have them every day. It's a and very, very narrow world absent a spiritual dimension. Totally. It would be soul-destroying, literally. Well, I was. I, was, I mean, it's a really, yeah, it's a really important part of my article because it is exactly that that the World Economic Forum say, not me saying, but them, through... Schwab's henchman, Harari, that you can forget about the human spirit, that's gone. And then he waffles on about AI and machines and robots and how they're going to control everything. I mean, it's megalomania on steroids. But the human spirit hasn't gone, not while we still draw breath and we use it to speak out. And I know we will. I know so. you're not talking about spirit necessarily in a Christian sense, 
but um, this year I have become a Christian, and and previous to that, I just saw everything as obviously living, but simple, simply material. And I used right. to look at it with a wonder and a beauty, like a sunset or a um, human being or a fast animal or, or a dolphin. Or so. I used to think they were beautiful. But it was only when I realized there was a spirit that the true beauty became apparent to me. And I only came aware of the importance of the spirit because of the way we were being treated as animals. And I can't believe that I lived this sort of soulless life all my life until I was in my late 60s and realized that there is a human spirit that is a spiritual dimension to us, a spiritual connection with each other, you see your children differently, you see your parents differently, you see your friends differently, because, and you value them more, because they're not just this inanimate, clever piece of machinery. Right. I mean, in Africa, they have this amazing greeting. Um, when, when, when you meet someone, uh, you know, especially an um, Some, there's an African phrase and it translates to I see you isn't that beautiful yes. I see you and it's three words and it's so powerful and it's so, um, it's not seeing you as a physical thing it's seeing you as a person hey. hmm. seeing you you know sort of that essence of you, the very essence of you. And you see, everyone has that. Nature has it as well. And it's nobody can replicate that. Nobody can control that. It's, it's just you know, given what to us, you, really, by what, what do you make, God. What do you make of Elon Musk? I don't know of very much of Elon, except that um, he's got a lot of satellites and um, he's into AI. And I don't know. I don't know. I he's a funny con- sort of much- He's a funny contradiction, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah, weary, um, I suppose. I'm weary, W-A-R-Y. Yeah, and he could be a saviour in one sense, um, or he could be the biggest devil in the world, uh, masquerading as a saviour. Yes, we don't know. And But I guess what I was thinking about when you were speaking is, he's a guy right into all of the stuff, deep within it, deep, 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 you know, AI, as you say, satellites. Rock, rockets, cars, and yet I follow him on Twitter, and I just love his tweets because it seems to me 
he exemplifies the human spirit. That I would be so shocked if he wasn't as he appeared because it would be a brilliant, um, what's the word, um, con job. Because, you know, when he told the advertisers that they could all go away and he wouldn't be bothered, um, when he calls out leading politicians, when he calls out the WEF, when he calls out Bill Gates and the head of Disney for being too woke, that's the human spirit to me. And um, yes, and I do and worry. On the other hand, yeah, yeah. On the other hand, he's got electric cars, which I I find a, um, yes. a very questionable product because yes. of the slave labour in Africa that's used to get the yes. lithium for the batteries and so forth. Yes, and and they blow up without warning. Yes. Well, um, goodness knows, it's it's uh, he is a fascinating he's a fascinating individual, and you can't quite. Um, I mean, he's an amazing success, and you sort of think also that level of success we've never seen before, and a lot of that success comes via government work. You know, he's the largest mm. supplier to NASA, and um, so you sort of think, how hooked in is he? It's a bit, it's all a bit weird. Tell me, uh, M- Mary, when. We're at this wash-up of the year. It's a mm. year to reflect and to look forward. What has been your in your writing? Because we're talking about your beautiful mm. writing. What was what was your highlight in that this year? Oh, well, just before we get to that, I'll just finish my list of why I write, and oh, I that apologize. is, um, you know, no, that's right. I was just going to say about letting people know the truth. I, I, I felt it was my calling really to use whatever skills I do have um, to give people something to read that contains facts and references from professionals who have had the courage and have dared to speak out against the narrative and provide us with irrefutable evidence as to what we have been told over the past four years is like little more than fear-mongering propaganda and outright lies and in passing on those truths and speaking out creating the space for readers of my articles to give them help give them the courage to speak out as well uh, I mean they may not write or do interviews or anything like that but even if they just discuss the issues with family and friends and get them to do the same then that can cover New Zealand very fast and the other thing about my articles I like to do is um, approach approach whatever subject I'm writing about from a common sense view. For instance, does it add up? Does it make sense? And the last four years, the answer to that is a resounding no. I mean, just for example, on, on the experimental gene therapy injection, if you... If you step aside from that and say, well, look, if you have food poisoning in a restaurant where customers become ill after eating there, do you remain open and keep actively promoting the same food? Never. You wouldn't be allowed to. You'd be shut down in a nanosecond. So why, with well over 60,000 injured New Zealanders and many hundreds dead, is this cocktail of unknown experimental ingredients still being promoted and pushed? Even if there was a vague question about it, why would it not be 
immediately withdrawn until after a genuine inquiry. Why would you keep killing and maiming people until you drifted into an inquiry after a Christmas where people were still getting this jab? What's the answer to that, Mary? What's that, sorry? I hear the question, what's the answer? Yeah. Why? Right. Why are we doing this? Why, 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 Why is this thing still carrying on? Well, they're not good intentioned, are they, if, if that is being allowed to occur? And even Pfizer has nine pages of tightly worded adverse events of this injection, and they were forced to release that by a high court judge in America. God bless them. <clears throat> and that can be found on the nzdsos.com site. And here in New Zealand, here in New What's Zealand, that, sorry? And here in New Zealand, there are hundreds of thousands of people involved in this, mm-hmm. knowing what's going on, school mm-hmm. teachers, pharmacists, doctors, nurses, vaccinators, and what? They're looking the other way? Because you think that, because you and I are conspiracy theorists on this, and the thing that you think wouldn't happen, it's a bit like you say, oh, you know, um, they never landed on the moon. And you say, do you imagine how many hundreds of thousands of people would have to be in on that to make that possible? And you think, oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's clearly you know, I couldn't you couldn't pull it off. Mm. But the fact that this vaccine is hurting people is now either incontrovertible or so close to incontrovertible that there should be a serious study and a serious look at it. And certainly you can't go on oh, safe and effective like we have been for these last few years. And are still we, doing. And still doing because we have the data. Yeah. There's no way if there's a question over the safety of this that... That's right. It, it, it is extraordinary. Well, think of Pike River and all the ink that's been spilt on that all the analysis, all the political shenanigans and mm-hmm. newspaper stories. Well, Pike Rivers, in terms of death and damage, is small. Compared to this. Compared to. Mm. And if you, uh, it's not to minimise what happened with Pike River, but it's this idea no. that if you were there, and you could see a Pike River happening, Mm. you'd be expected, if you're working in the mines department or health and safety department or you're working for the Pike River company and you could see this danger, you'd be expected to call it out. Right. And I think Liz Lambert recently said that now the whistleblower has come out 
there's a very short window of time for others who are aware of this data, who are still working in the Ministry of Health, come out too, to absolve them of being complicit in the future. Because it will yeah. all come out. Truth resonates, and it it's it's it sears through everything. So and truth will triumph. I feel anxious not to overstep your reasons for writing. Have we completed that? Because there's a lot of co <laughs> complex reasons. No, there's just one other thing I try to do, and that is when you're writing about serious subjects, it's oh. It's always it's always an issue with me. I, I like to be able to help uplift people, you know, not to not to um, make them feel that I've given them a problem that they cannot um, deal with. So I combine the stories with um, two other main components, and <clears throat> that's um, several photos showing the spirit of nature, along with uplifting quotes that always seek to inspire because there's enough darkness. And I always like to provide a solution. You know, like if somebody's reading about, for instance, the serious adverse events of uh, the injections, well, they might not want to read that because, you know, they've they might have had to... They may have been forced to have them to keep their job or whatever other skullduggery that was going on at the time. So, so I like to present a solution which is nzdsos.com have a, have a clinic that they can call and they can get a, a, a program to help them detox their bodies. And they've called on uh, solutions from overseas experts in all sorts of fields, including cardiac. And, and so there is a solution and there is a way for them to help ameliorate whatever it is they may have had and to clean their bodies out. Because, and I think that's a very important component. Because... Because you've got to give people hope. Because part of that human spirit is hope. Absolutely. And part yeah. of that human spirit is working together to overcome extraordinary challenge. Exactly. And um, dark times make for the best people. That's and true, they, too. Now, I'm pleased we've covered that off because I felt terrible interrupting you. But I don't mind. We're having a chat. We're having a vigorous chat, Rodney. Yeah. Tell me, <laughs> what was the best thing of this year for you and the worst thing? Um, I was mightily um, disappointed that when the whistleblower information came out, that the government didn't step forward and just say, we are <clears throat> putting a hold on this until we have the chance to do an inquiry. Obviously, they don't have time to start it right now, but at least safeguard people from more damage. No, I mean, look, there's a cardiac arrest in the ICU. You don't say, oh, look, I've just got these notes to finish here and then I'll be along. I mean, that's just, 
it's just not done. You see what I mean, Rodney? Yeah. It was shocking because it was just the moment for the new government to shine. Oh, because what a they were opportunity. They weren't responsible for any of this. We'd okay. had Winston Peters, who was in our corner. Yes. And it wouldn't have needed to be much. You just need to say, well, look, we're going to be looking at this information. Our best information at this stage is that it is safe and effective, because right. I guess that's what they're working on. But we're going to be talking to Mr. Young, and we will, as a matter of high priority, be getting back to you before Christmas. In the meantime, we're putting everything on hold. None of that would have been hard. Paragraph. Yeah. It would and, have been greeted with elation. Mm, mm. I'm afraid but you said, that that didn't happen. Makes me feel very, very dark about this coming COVID inquiry. Weary, with an A. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. weary as in tired, but... No. Well, maybe that too. <laughs> yeah. That was but, a dark... That but, was a very dark thing because it painted a picture that while we had changed government, in this respect of the injured and the dead, nothing's changed. Well, and salt in the wound yes. was promoting it, promoting it at Christmas events for children. I mean, even help us. Mental. Now, I mean, what was your, that was your dark moment. What was your high moment? Yeah. Uh, well, certainly the old government going. Oh, I mean, that was glory a to God. Uh, it, oh, that was just wonderful that the old... I mean, I know that people say this is two sides of the same coin and so forth, and I, I hear that and I understand that, but we did need... To, at least we put a stop on the therapeutics bill and we've put a stop on hopefully three waters. I mean, heavens. And... Um, we got we kicked the hate speech bill for touch. That was that was also very very important. Um, but we just need to help this government see that continuing to have a product on the market that is killing and injuring New Zealanders is completely unacceptable, and that has to stop now. Do you think there could be an analysis undertaken? I ask myself this, and data presented that would convince you that it was all okay? No. Absolutely not. Because Absolutely. the funny thing is, I keep an open mind. And I don't do that just for performative reasons, but I always think, well, I'm reading the stuff. I haven't, I don't understand the data. I don't necessarily understand the analysis. I get it. 
I have met the people, and I think this is real. But what troubles me, I feel as though I'm sitting in a court case where I've only heard the prosecution. Now, if the defendant comes along and says, I've got nothing to say in my defense, <laughs> other than that yeah. I didn't do it, I do build a picture because that's the situation that we're in, isn't it? The, 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 the defense, there's no defense to our prosecution of this issue. And so we're sitting there in the jury saying, well, I've heard a very powerful case against this vaccine, but I haven't heard a defense. And I would but so, the, I would so yeah, love to yeah. hear it. The fact that we don't hear it makes me think yeah. I'm convinced. But I just think that, because Barry Young himself said that he'd love to be proved wrong. Absolutely. We all would. We'd love to be proved wrong. But we doubt it. But, well, we don't doubt it. We've had factual evidence yeah. in the form of, Grief and bereavements from one end of the country to the other, maimed, beautiful New Zealanders, injured, desperately, desperately um, injured and kicked to the curb by the previous callous, callous government who ignored and, them. And, and as it stands, still in the curb. Right. And that's we have to speak for them you know, because, because they've got enough just trying to make ends meet, not even compensating them. They trusted them. They trusted that previous government. When you look... And, you know, I... Yeah, Carry on. Sorry. Carry on. I was just going to say, I'm not very good. I don't like bullies. I, I, you know, my father always used to say, the bigger they are, Mary, the harder they'll fall. Mm. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> um, when you look out to next year what are you looking forward to in all this respect and in your writings oh well I am I'm dreaming I'm dreaming that that the new government will put a stop put a halt put a hold on this this kill shot and immediately and they will have a proper inquiry that involves key members of um, the international community who have spoken out, professionals, leaders in their field like Asim Maholtra and Dr Peter McCullough um, <coughs> Dr. Mark Bailey, Dr. Sam Bailey, um, Dr. Matt Shelton, all these, all these amazing people, and that they will, all of the NZD SOS crew, and others, of course, they can have fours and against, but um, but that, but everything will come out, and there will be a, a beautiful cleansing. Because until that happens, the country can't move on. It's been mortally wounded and it needs passion and care 
and it needs to start here in New Zealand. We need to care for our people that have been terribly injured and those who have been bereaved. And would be a big it would be a big start just to be releasing all the data and information. Yes, well, that um, Barry Young's release could have been dealt with. Ministry of Health, they would have all the information. Complete information, they could have released it to prove him wrong. Hmm. Um, tell but us what you make. You wrote your last article. I assume it's your last article for the year. And it's no, a, it's not actually. Oh, really? <laughs> Aren't you wonderful? Yes. <laughs> and oh, it's appeared on it. the Great Daily Telegraph, and doctors speaking out for science have reproduced it wonderfully. And it's called a smoking gun. And like you say, yes. it's got the beautiful pictures that you've taken. But it's a beautiful article. Tell us about that article. Well, <clears throat> I saw a man with great courage doing something that nobody else had done in that department. And I saw a man who couldn't live with the knowledge he thought he had any longer. He was asking for an inquiry because every day he delayed, he felt responsible for every death or injury. And as you said, he would have welcomed being proved wrong. He, you know, he worked with Liz and they had the data checked out offshore and it came to the point where he was prepared on a spiritual level, to take the consequences because he cared more about the people than his immediate circumstances. And he stood there in that dock. He stood there wearing a T-shirt, one that he'd been arrested in the day before, when eight armed police ransacked his house and he was arrested and he only had didn't, he wasn't armed, he was harmless got back from the shopping mall, he was armed with a dog roll dog food there he was the next day in the dock and he looked so strong and invincible. Now, I looked at that man in that dock and I thought, that is a man who is at peace with his soul, with him, with his essence. He knew he'd done the right thing. And he was invincible because of it. Mm. And it was the government that were left wanting. I mean, what a heavy-handed approach. Why not just calmly say, well, thank you, Barry. We, we apologise for not getting back to you sooner, which led you to do this, but we'll provide all the data publicly so you can see that you were actually wrong. I'd have done that, and if it was true that he was wrong, that would have been the end of it. They didn't. 
and they haven't. And so this pantomime keeps playing out in the courts. I have and Barry watched, just keeps looking stronger. <laughs> I have watched every interview he's done. Yes. And he has grown in character, character and strength with each interview. Totally. And I came away saying to myself, A, he's not a nut job. B, he's totally trustworthy. C, he is a person who's had a high-level access to all sorts of personal data and has never been called into question. That's right. He's not a rabble rouser trying to make a name for himself, going off half-cocked. He has taken a carefully developed career in a very narrow field where everyone would know everyone. Certainly your next employer would know what who your last employer was and would want to know the ins and outs. And he has committed for that career the greatest I won't say crime because that suggests it's against the law, but the greatest sort of a betrayal of the craft because he's worked in banks, he's worked in health, and he's managed databases. And the key thing to managing a database is, A, you've got to be able to do it, but you've got to be trustworthy. He knew in doing that, he was throwing everything about his life to the wolves. And that it would be doubtful that he could ever work again in that field. That is a man with that at risk and also his demeanor, as you say, and his interviews. That is a man that sincerely believes that his data or the data that he was administering shows the smoking gun, something extremely untoward and that having failed to alert anyone to it within the organisation, he went outside to hell with the cost to him. He did alert someone. He alerted his senior within yes. the yes. department. And they did nothing. No, I think he then got sacked, possibly. Oh my God! I'm not sure exactly when he got sacked. Yes, and there was a few. I had a, I had a look. And it I was had a look at the Protected Disclosures Act, and and there's not meant to be any retaliation for somebody reporting something they're concerned about. No, and I was when I followed that, I was confused a little bit about the timings, but nonetheless, yes. he is a clever man when I say clever, intelligent man, a cautious man, a trustworthy man, who clearly, sincerely believes that his data is showing something and that he was prepared to pay a tremendous price to tell us. 
And also the data backs up what we've yes. been seeing anyway. Yes, and we know... NZDSOS have been saying this for years, so has yes. Linda Wharton, um, yes. VFF, um, Free NZ, uh, Liz Gunn, and like so many people, all in the freedom movement have been have been pointing this out, but Barry was different because he came from within. And I don't tend to look at it as a betrayal. I, I tend to look at it as loyalty to the people with whom he's serving. Or oh, yes, he's... Maybe, maybe that yeah. was the wrong word, but you know what I mean. Um, I do know what you mean, because yeah. Like but you... it, was, um, it, it was the ultimate loyalty to the people of New Zealand to, to bring that out despite all. Well, it's just like Dan Picknell as yes. well, the, uh, the policeman. Yes. Well, tell Asian me, guy. if you are Barry Young, yes. what are you expected to do? No one's explained that to me. I mean, they've all said, oh, yeah, no, he stole the data and he's spread misinformation and all the rest of it. And you say, well, okay, that's your story. But his story is that he was sitting on this data that showed that New Zealanders were dying and they were dying because of the jab. What do you expect him to do with that information? Well, clearly they expected him just to carry on. Yeah, well, well, that's right. Well, honestly, I mean, the other thing it's done that Liz Lambert, the lawyer, said is, as I mentioned, I think, before, it's given, now Now we we know that there's information there that's pointing a fairly dark picture to a fairly dark picture. So therefore, um, other people within that department will have exactly the same access to even a wider uh, set of data than his information. And they will also know. So so surely they're duty-bound to um, speak out too. Well, it's going to make the inquiry. This is the thing for next year to me is this inquiry because mm-hmm. it's either going to be a damp squib or it's going to be explosive. And yep. to my mind, the best thing apart from the change of government and Mr. Peters getting into a position of extreme power, the best thing that's happened is the Barry Young release because how can you have an inquiry into our COVID response that ignores Barry Young's data. That's right. Because um, you can't, that is going to be the elephant in the room. It's a linchpin. It is the linchpin. I, 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 you can't go into that inquiry and not address it. And you can't address it by saying, oh, he was a thief and he spread misinformation and it's safe and effective. Because that doesn't huh. well, doesn't an inquiry how, how could he have spread misinf- How could he have spread misinformation when it was the Ministry of Health's own data? Uh, of course, but that shows I mean, you, you know, that they have to inquire. Yeah. Into that data, which means understand it and explain what it shows or what it doesn't show, and the inquiry has to explain. 
why Barry is wrong in detail. Or blow the Ministry of Health clean out of the water. Yep. Now, picture this. You're sitting there in this inquiry, Mary. Huh. Mm -hmm. Let me think. I could clear Barry Young and a bunch of crap bots that include you and me. Or I could say, oh, my goodness, Barry was right, and those crap pots, and you torpedo. You, you blow up the Ministry of Health. You blow up virtually every government department. I mean, the Ministry of Education, every minute, the Ministry of Corrections, the Ministry of Police, all these departments blow up with a bang if this inquiry discovers that people were being hurt by this vaccine. You blow up the Labour Party, you blow up the Green Party, you blow up the National Party, you blow up the ACT Party. The only party that gets left standing in all of this is New Zealand First because they weren't a party to it. I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge thing to report that this vaccine killed 10,000 Kiwis. Or however many it was. Or however many it was. Be terrible if it well, was 20. But you see, but you see, you have to clean a wound. You have to, you have to get rid of the bacteria. You have to heal it from, from, not from the outside, but from the inside out. Yes, and, and we're going to, but we're going to know, we're going to know day one of this new or enlarged or inquiry. Um, we're going to know. Um, immediately with the terms of reference, whether it's any good or not. Yes, well, aren't we? Well, I hope and pray that the new government do do a, an honest, wide-ranging, genuine, genuine inquiry. And you know, I I don't think it'll blow up this government, but I think it will shine the spotlight on what the previous government have done. And yes. I do think that I do think that this is an amazing opportunity for the new government to show that they um, they do want truth and and they will seek to resolve the issues that were the result of the previous government mm. and compensate the injured and look after them and and um, well Chris Luxon could grieved. could redeem himself. There's an old saying in politics that if you can't ride two horses, you've got no business being in the circus or in politics. <laughs> so what um, Mr. Seymour and Mr. Luxon have to do is that they have to jump off one horse and ride another one as part of the show of politics. And so they've got and to sit there and will... sit. You'll forgive them. You'll say, they'll say, oh, my God, yeah. we believe these experts. We believe Jacinda. We believe. Believe Chris Hipkins. We we yeah. we believed all these people. Oh my goodness! It turns out it's not true, and you damn them. 
And they can save face. They've they got can. this opportunity to save face. Yes, and it's like our friends, Especially right? We we will forgive all our friends if they just see us in the African phrase. If they see us and ask us, well, you were a bit, you know, um, it doesn't matter to me now, Rodney, that you didn't get the jab. How wonderful would someone saying that to you be when to them it was their reason for whether they were your friend or not? And then that would be a big part of the healing. And then it's the same with Mr. Luxon. And of course, ultimately, this right. is a question. Because there is it's a... from that that we can build a better tomorrow, you know? Mm. Mm. And, a... and we can build it together. We can build yeah. it together. We, You know, there's been, there's been too much hurt and too much tragedy over the last four years. And we, we are better together. And we need to be free of the shackles of an ever-tightening government with all its laws and you must do this and you must do that and crippling people with taxes and just taking the shackles off. We're, we're free people and we've got to remember that. We what a wonderful place to end. We can't go into agreement. With, Mary? Yeah, with... You have been truly wonderful. Sorry, I'm getting on my hobby horse now, Rodney, but I did want to just say also, Dan Picknell, the former policeman, has been also an amazing shining light coming out. And he's got a fantastic interview that people should listen to. It's on, um, I think it's on Free NZ, Liz Gunn. And what he exposes there is just phenomenal. And he's a brave man. And I think also, uh, I mean, for years, NZDSOS has been, has been there with the truth, unstintingly loyal to the New Zealand people and all the alternative media who, despite ridicule and derision, have stood tall and continue to bring the stories of the people and interview gaslighted experts from here and offshore while being gaslighted themselves, you know? I mean, there's so many amazing and beautiful people in New Zealand. and um, But we need the voices of the listening public out there too. We need you, and we need you, and we need more whistleblowers. We need the public to know the truth. And, um, yeah, so uh, I think we are here to bat for our future. The stakes are high, but it is the indomitable human spirit that will triumph over the evil we see. And we need you to help us in any way you can. Thank and you isn't it? my heart to you. Oh, Mary, you're so wonderful. Mary, um, (laughs) on behalf of all the listeners, we wish you and Charlie a very, very good Christmas. We keep Charlie in the background, but people don't realise that he's a very, very accomplished man. And there wouldn't be a a woman such as you fall in love with him if he wasn't. 
He's my hero. <laughs> He's, He's my amazing. Hero. And, and I, I'd go gay for and He's the sort that of guy. Funny, he, no, but he's the sort of guy that I want to be. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's just amazing. He's staunch, and he's he's you know when you're on the end of a rope on a mountain, he's he's the guy. I got to tell you, but just for um, listeners' sake, Charlie, I've done, you know, doing yeah, Charlie is a very very accomplished New Zealand outdoorsman and mountain climber. And and, and mountain guide, and his bravery and fortitude cannot be questioned. He'll be blushing uh, at that, Rodney. Well, uh, he should, because he's well, he's no need to, because it's true, but it really is amazing. It's, um, I stand in awe of men and women such as him because it's just not something that, um, I would have the guts to do. So good, Merry Christmas to you both, and we will be talking in the new year. We've got a very exciting year coming up because RCR and the Freedom Movement achieved a lot heading into this election, and I include in that all the parties that never made it because they had a big impact, because they were talking on the stages, they were talking in the media, they didn't get a lot, but they were speaking out, and the other parties had to be listening to them, and they influenced them, and they influenced the debate. And it's been all these little streams, all these little streams going in to make a big river. And we got that election result. And now next year, we have to help them make it happen. We do. We have high hopes. And we can now talk freely. Because all the things that we've been talking about in hushed tones until RCR came along, and then more loudly when RCR came along, is now part of the national debate. So, you know, the COVID inquiry is a proper inquiry, we hope. And so all the discussions that we're having need to be addressed by this COVID inquiry. Gender, genderism, uh, climate change, all of this now is up for discussion and debate, whereas previously it was verboten. And I'm loving watching the media squirrel and squirm and scream because they're the ones that have most of all been guilty of shutting everything down in New Zealand. Yes, because I'm they delighted could have, that calling them out. Yeah, it's wonderful. Mary, Mary, all the very best. We look forward to your final article for the year. Thank I'll you. keep my and eye pressed for it. Oh, and, yes. And love to you and yours for Christmas too, Rodney. You're an absolute treasure. Well, can you picture this? Christmas is always a special time for family and for friends, but imagine what it is when you become a Christian. It becomes wonderful. Yes. Take care, Mary. I can imagine. That's Reality Check Radio. We'll talk, we'll talk with Rodney Hyde. We're talking with Mary Hobbs. Remember, please send me a text 2057. Email me inbox at realitycheck.radio. Merry Christmas to all our listeners and a very, very good new year. And do drop us a line. Thank you for tuning in to Rally Check Radio. You've heard the words open, fair, both sides of the story. It's easy to say them, but practicing them often seems like a bridge too far. New Zealand, it's time for 
a reality check. Reality check. RCR. Reality check radio. Rational discussion. Common sense. And open debate for real. With me, Paul Brennan. You know, you just can't make this stuff up. You couldn't write the script. Veteran broadcaster Peter Williams. Where is the evidence they actually make a difference? It turns out that was a very fair question to ask. Taking on the mainstream, Chantel Baker. Mainstream media, as usual, in their little perch. The man who cares so much and whose background is for real, Rodney Hyde. The doctors don't believe them. They can't get ACC. They can't work. They're told it's all in their head. Along with a raft of contributors to inform, entertain and bring the truth back to New Zealand media. It's time for a reality check, all right. RCR, Reality Check Radio at www.realitycheck.radio. We've arrived. It's so wonderful to have had this year with you and to be looking forward to next year with you and growing our community. It's been an amazing time to live through and only made joyous and possible by the many friends that we have met and made contact with since the start of the COVID madness, but particularly now with RCR. So thank you for that. There's much to look forward to and there's much to be concerned about, but there's no doubt in my mind that the positives far outweigh the negatives. And a lot of it has to do, funny enough, with that last election result, because I feel as though we've turned the corner and we can start having the proper debate and the discussion. The big thing I'm looking forward to next year is the COVID inquiry. I think this is a huge opportunity for us not to be proved right, but to get to the bottom of everything. In fact, in many ways, it'd be a blessing to be found out that we were wrong and that everything was hunky-dory. That is to say, I suspect the lockdowns were overblown, but that there hasn't been this death and destruction that seems so self-evident from the jab. To do that inquiry, though, requires a bit of fortitude. It requires the new government to end the existing inquiry. It's a complete waste of time to start off with narrow terms of references and commissioners, royal commissioners, appointed by the previous government and expect that to be an acceptable inquiry. You don't change the nature of that inquiry by expanding the references or appointing one or two new commissioners. Actually, you have to start again. So that is really, really important. The inquiry also has to be wide-ranging. It can't be narrow. It can't be limited. Of course, it has to be constrained by the COVID and, and the government's response. But beyond that, all matters should be up for debate and discussion. And so there needs to be a clause in the terms of reference for any other matters that come to the commission or committee or whatever the structure is, come to their attention so that they themselves can expand their terms of reference while all the while constraining it to COVID. 
It's been a big event, the Barry Young data. You feel as though there has been a massive chink in the wall. And I believe Barry Young. I don't believe a man would risk his career, his reputation. He's clearly a capable guy. He's clearly a guy that you can have full confidence in. And he's gone out on a complete limb in his career and life. He's been a quiet man. He's now out in the open, public, around the world. I don't think you would do that if you didn't genuinely believe that the data was showing you something. He could be wrong. He could be mistaken. But we're only going to find that out by actually putting that data and that analysis in front of the inquiry. It is the elephant in the room. It can't be ignored. We can't just brush it aside and say, oh, yes, no, safe and effective. If we're going to have an inquiry into what happened with COVID, it's got to be with everything. And especially the records that the government holds on the health of New Zealanders. That has to be a part of the inquiry. Especially now when Barry Young has brought it to New Zealand and world attention. And said there's a big fat signal in here of something wrong. How pathetic would it be to have an inquiry and the commissioners get asked, oh, what do you make of the Barry Young data? No, oh, we never looked at it. It would be a complete uh, waste of time. Here's another thing that we need to have looked at in this inquiry. The government's contracts with Pfizer they actually have to be out in the public arena and considered. There is no good reason why they should be hidden from us. If there is commercial sensitivity, such as around price, eh, those doing the inquiry can see it, but that can be blacked out for the public. But the contracts have to be out in the open. Oh, Pfizer won't like that. Pfizer's got a, an agreement with our government that the contract is to be in secret. Well, Parliament can set this inquiry up with legislation. And it can make it legal that this inquiry can receive the contract and release it. Nothing Pfizer can do. Again, I don't see how you can have an inquiry into the government's COVID response if we don't see the terms and conditions of those contracts. Because I think you and me and others have a feeling that a lot of the bad stuff that we've seen since the rollout are a consequence of that contract because I suspect it's extremely oppressive on the government. And our government was so desperate to sign up, they would sign everything. They would sign anything, I'm sorry to say. We need to see that contract. That needs to be part of the inquiry. Absolutely.
and most importantly, the inquiry needs to be in public. Ideally, it should be streamed. How wonderful would that be? So we can tune in. And everyone should have an opportunity to submit, make a written submission, and attend the inquiry and be heard. To be able to say your bit. You might make a long written submission, but be restricted to five or ten minutes for an oral submission or verbal submission. But that would be very, very powerful that we can do that. Otherwise, it's not our inquiry. Everyone should be heard and everyone should be responded to. Why? Because we've lost trust in experts. We've lost trust in those people that did all the talking around COVID, all of those that were telling us what to do and how to do it and when to do it. We have to reach beyond them to the experts that were shut down, to the everyday people that had their lives destroyed and upended. We need to hear from them. And that can only happen if the inquiry is thrown open to the public. It's a public inquiry, out in the open, with anyone able to submit and to present. And then finally, and most importantly, the injured and the dead's families and friends and loved ones must be given a platform. They must be welcomed in to this inquiry. They must be given an opportunity to make a submission and to be heard, finally. And not to be dismissed, not to be ridiculed, not to be laughed about, but to be listened to. Because we're all New Zealand citizens. We're all human beings. We've all got an opportunity to be heard. And we need to put an end to the deplatforming, the shaming, the attacks, the name-calling. And the best way of doing that would be to open this inquiry up and not just invite, but actively seek out the hurt, the injured, the maimed, and the families of those that have died. Not to say that every everything that went wrong was a consequence of the vaccine, that every death was caused by the vaccine, or every illness or disability was caused by the vaccine. That's for the inquiry to sift through and to figure. But to do that, they're going to have to hear from the people affected. And likewise for us, we need a closure. Even those of us that never took the jab, or those of us who took the jab and didn't get hurt or injured, we need a closure. And how can you have that closure if you don't hear from those that were the most badly affected?
not possible. Let's hope and let's pray that next year the injured and the families of the dead finally get a platform to have their say and give voice to what happened to them. Very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Here on Real Talk with Rodney Hyatt, Rally Check Radio, please remember, send me a text 2057, email me at inbox at rallycheck.radio. God bless. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Here on Reality Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, send us a text, 2057. Email us, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Oh, we've been going over nine months. And one of the great pleasures of RCR has been getting to know Professor Guru Wally Richards. What a wonderful man. Thank you. And also picking up gardening. Oh, my goodness, I have loved it. And I've just got Wally Richards' latest gardening book. I started to read it. My mother-in-law's visiting. Now she's grabbed it, and I can't get near it. So it's a very good book, Wally, for the Christmas stocking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're actually a great great writer. Yeah. yeah, and and I've had no formal training either. Well, my mother-in-law is like really enjoying just reading it, and um, um, she's a very keen gardener, and um, she picked it up, and it's the last I've seen of it, Wally. Well, I've read a lot of Stephen King, see, and I kind of follow like him, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I I don't do about the weird and wonderful and the frightening. <laughs> I do about the natural, and it's. Good to be in the garden stuff. Well, we're going to have a break over Christmas. So what should our gardening friends be doing over this Christmas break in their garden? Okay. Well, one of the most important things is getting their winter crops in. And that should be starting this month and continuing through January, February, and into March. And that's about your last chance. So, in other words, we plant for succession. You don't plant out 500 cabbages because you're not going to eat 500 cabbages in a couple of weeks' time altogether. So you're planting two or three of each thing. Now, it's quite good that some of the nurseries are putting out uh, cell packs where there's six plants in there, but there's two of broccoli, two of cabbage, two Mm. of cauliflower. Mm. Now, they're ideal because you just plant two of them of each and then you leave it for a week or two and then you plant another lot, right? Succession, most important, right? Um, if you don't get your winter crops in now when we've got the ultimate daylight hours, that is except for the dimming of the sun, of course, but uh, under normal circumstances, Um, you've got a good, what, up to 16 hours of sunlight a day Mm. or night, and hence plants need that light to grow. So we get our plants in now, they will grow nicely, and as you're heading into winter, 
which is probably somewhere around about May, June period of time, they should have reached maturity, right? And then they will sit nicely in the cold weather like they're in a great big deep freeze. And you can harvest at your leisure, right? So planting now and over the next couple of months in succession will ensure that you have good range of cabbages, cauliflowers, broccoli or whatever to eat during the winter months. When, generally speaking too, a lot of produce is a bit more expensive um, at that time of the year. Now, forgive my ignorance as a gardening uh, neophyte, Wally. When you say winter crops, is that a type of crop or is it just referring to the time at which you plant them? There is specific um, cabbages, lettuces, etc., which are more suited to winter growing or summer growing, mm. right? So the problem, of course, if you're buying seedlings, it's not necessary that the um, nurseries are producing the right stuff. They're probably producing whatever seeds they've got available, <laughs> and it might be giving you summer cabbages for planting for winter. Yeah. Now, they'll still grow, but they won't do as good as. Mm. Um, ideally, if you go on to one of the mail-order seed places like Edmont Seeds, King Seeds, <coughs> you, you can find varieties which are suitable for winter harvesting or for summer harvesting. Got it. And that does make a difference for sure. Mm. If if you don't get stuff in, and unfortunately you see, say, round about April, May, seedlings in the garden shops, cabbages, etc. Um, and you think if you don't know better, oh, oh, I'll plant some of those now. You're wasting your time because when you put them in, they're not going to grow much because it's too short a daylight hours. And so they kind of sit there and sulk, only growing very minimally. And then as spring starts to happen and the daylight hours extend, the plants which feel that they have been in stress as a result of this not being able to grow much, um, will go to seed or bolt, and mm. you're wasting your time completely. In terms of this planting them out every couple of weeks, is it possible to put a whole lot of seeds in a, one of those seed containers and grow them, and then every couple of weeks remove three or four, plant them out, uh, remove three or four, plant them out? Is yep. that, does that work as an efficient way of doing it? Yeah, and particularly each time you go to take some out, you plunge the container into a bucket of water, let it bubble away, and then lift it up, let it drain a bit, and you can separate the plants much easier because the roots will just slide out mm. from the mm. wet mix. If it's dry mix, you just damage roots because they hold on. Mm. Oh, well, so... Um... This is actually quite a busy time because you're trying to get those vegetables 
to get you as far through the winter as you possibly can. Mm. And besides that, of course, you've got your summer crops that you're harvesting. Yes. So, oh, can I tell you, my board beans are delicious. Good. Excellent. They're never making it to the pot. Ah, right. You're eating them uh, where they stand. <laughs> where they stand, they're so beautiful. I've got tomatoes. My lettuces are doing well. Um, and glory to God, my potatoes, I haven't I haven't dug them up yet, but oh my goodness, they're looking so healthy. The green bits at the top are right. doing extraordinarily well. Now, I planted a row, row of garlic on the shortest day. Okay. We're coming up to the longest day. Should right. I harvest my garlic? Um, yes, you can do. Or what I would tend to do is maybe just lift one or two. In fact, you can, if you put your fingers into the soil where the stem is coming out, and you can feel how big the bulb is ah. underneath, right? Now, that will give you an indication of how good you've done with your mm. crop. Mm. If the bulb isn't too big, a lot of people like to leave it for another month. Okay. So uh, get a bit more energy from the sun because of long daylight hours, um, and then harvest at that point of time. The the key, of course, is to get a nice big bulb that's got lots of lovely big fat cloves in it. Mm. And when you do harvest, um, you lift your plant out of the ground and you lay it um, on concrete or somewhere, initially in a place where it's going to be nice and sunny to dry the crop. And then if it looks like rain, of course, move it under the carport or somewhere like that because you don't want them to get any wetter. You're trying to dry them. Mm -hmm. And then once it's dried off nicely, you can just take the um, the foliage that's deteriorated off and you've got your uh, lovely bowl full of cloves. And how do I know when my potatoes are ready to be harvested? Ah, same trick. In the old days, and I forget the expression, but there's a Scottish expression where it's correct or something, where you put your finger under the soil and you feel the tubers mm. right underneath the plant. And if you feel a nice big one, well, you pluck it out without mm. harvesting your plant. Um, I forget the term, but it's an, an interesting um, expression. Uh, and with my potatoes, I've planted a lot because mm -hmm. I love potatoes. Right. Am I best to just harvest them as I need them, or do you harvest them all in one go? What's the theory about harvesting potatoes? Right. Okay. The biggest problem these days is the potato-tomato salad, right? Now, if you're free of that, good. You don't have a great problem. And anybody that's grown potatoes at this point of time, I suggest that they either crack out one or two potatoes, see how big they are, or lift the plant and check the crop underneath. Now, if the potatoes are a good size, that's good. If they're only about the size of a marble and starting to reshoot, that means they were attacked by psyllids earlier in the piece. Mm. Like, 
if the potatoes, on the other hand, are nice size and you cut one in half and it's nice and doesn't have the dark rings or zebra rings or whatever you like to call it, if it does have those rings, but no good. That's sort of damage. Um, if you're going to leave the potatoes in the ground, which you can do, and there's a possibility that psyllids will attack. Now, I've had a few instances of this, that people have grown potatoes, and about this time, coming up to Christmas, they think, oh, good, um, we'll have some nice, lovely new potatoes for Christmas dinner. And they lift a plant, and the potatoes are perfect. They leave the rest of them in the ground, and about a month later, they come to lift, and the potatoes are history. They've got the rings in them. The problem with leaving them in the ground with the tops on means that the psyllid can get to the tops. They can feed on them and inject the toxins in, which will go down to the tubers and cause the dark rings, which makes them taste horrible right, and useless. So if you're going to leave them in the ground, the best thing to do is to cut all the tops off and then cover the stubble with some soil so there's nothing the psyllids can get to. And they will sit ha happily in the ground until you're ready to harvest. Would you be leaving them there for weeks or months? Um, well, at some point in time, of course, they will reshoot yes. in nature. So you can leave them there for quite some time, in actual fact, um, mm. before mm. they start to reshoot. The time factor will depend on factors like the soil temperature, moisture, blah, 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 right? Mm. Um, Potatoes, interestingly enough, um, to make them shoot, it's done by a change of temperature. So potatoes that you're buying from the supermarket, they have been uh, harvested and they're normally put into chillers, right, to store them. And if you have the fridge capacity and you dig up your potatoes and you put them in the, the, your fridge or the beer fridge without the beer or something, right, they, they will hold much nicer without shooting. When you bring them out and you, as you do from the supermarket, they've already started to warm up a bit except for the chillers there, and you have them in the kitchen, which is a nice room, warm room, get that right, uh, that's when they shoot. So often uh, you find within a few weeks, uh, of bringing potatoes home, or even a week or two, they started to reshoot because of change of temperature. So somewhere dark and cool is the place to store your potatoes. Yes, yeah. And the best place is in the ground with the with their greens cut off and covered. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's very they're... exciting. That's very exciting. And um, I got, I've only got half a dozen yams growing which is a bit annoying i grew grew a large patch but the birds hoed into them like you couldn't believe oh right man they love those jolly yams they picked and picked and picked um now when you're growing in your little garden wally and i have like my potato patch should that be my po potato patch next year or should i make my potato patch somewhere else um the aspect of revolving crops around from place to place means that any disease or any insect pests 
that have got into the crop in that place and you move to a different place, uh, you're not um, putting the plants to a, a problem area. Ah. And also, also the, uh, the food content in that area, even though you're revitalising it, hopefully, with the fresh compost, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but a particular crop will take certain goodness out of the soil where you can plant a different crop in and that will take other goodness out. Mm. So, so it's that, a good idea to be rotating. Well, it's it's safe. It's better safe than sorry, mm. put it that way. Um, mm. But in saying that, when you're growing a crop such as tomatoes and you've got a perfect place against brick or concrete wall or something, nice and sunny, nice and sheltered, and you grow your tomatoes there because that's the best place for them, and I know gardeners have grown in the same spot for years, 25 years. And other than the seasonal problems, have no problem. Because mm. they, they're putting the goodness back in each yes. time. Yes. And dealing to the pests. Mm. And now, um, let us take a wee moment because we have some questions in from listeners. Hi, Rodney. When you have your next show with Wally Richards. Can you please discuss powdery mildew on tomato plants in the glasshouse? Okay. This one I find interesting, and I have had a couple of people ring me in recent times saying, I've got powdery mildew on my tomato plants in the glasshouse. And I've gone, really? Are you sure it's powdery mildew? And it's turned out to be actual psyllid damage, right, on the plants. So a fungi growing up and down the trunks and on the leaves, etc., caused by the toxins that the psyllid inject in. Uh. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that you can't have powdery mildew on tomato plants, but I've never seen it. And I suspect it's not an, a happening thing. You get powdery mildew on silver beet. You'll get powdery mildew on various plants, right? Um, and normally, with a lot of plants, it happens outside in the autumn, right? When the moisture's around and the temperatures are, are down and powdery mildew proliferates over your pansies and stuff, right? Um if it was powdery mildew, my suggestion would be just spray um, with our neem tree oil that I have, Wally's Super Neem Tree Oil, um, on plants like pumpkin leaves and so forth, which are very prone to powdery mildew in the autumn. Um, spray with that, they're back to green instantly. It, oh, goodness. It's the oil uh, that takes away the white, what's name? The white powdery, what's name, reduces the plant's ability to get energy from the sun, and hence um, it's coming to the end of its life anyway um, with pumpkins, etc. Now, there's another point too, most important. People growing pumpkins, zucchinis, uh, courgettes, zucchinis, if the fruit is not setting, in other words, uh, you have your flower and then the embryo fruit uh, is there after the flower is finished, and then it 
rots or goes yellow and rots. That's because it never got pollinated. And this time of the year, when you've got your pumpkin squash, et cetera, et cetera, and zucchinis growing, it pays to, in the morning, go out and check the plants for male and female flowers. You're not too much worried about the males, but you are worried about the females. Now, the female flower, of course, has the embryo fruit behind the petals. Right? The male doesn't have that, and it has a stamen, which is straight up like, you know, one of those things that just straight us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think we get that We're getting complicated now. Yeah. Okay. So what I do, I find a female is there, and that's, and the centre part of the flower is, is round-ish, right? And, and that's where it needs pollen. I pick a male flower and remove the petals, so I've just got the stamen sticking straight out, which I then can poke into the female flower and pollinate the flower and set the fruit. Now, if you do that on a regular basis, you only have to do it once for each one, and you will have a good crop, and you won't have any fizzes. Isn't that astonishing? And ordinarily an insect would be doing that business. Yeah, if you've got bumblebees around, um, possibly honeybees, but it's more bumblebees. Sometimes it's flies. Um, mm. They go from flower to flower to get the nectar, and in doing so they get some pollen on their bodies, and hence they transfer it from one to the other. Now, if this lady on her tomatoes hasn't got powdery mildew and has a psyllid, how could she tell by looking at it which one she's got? Well, first of all, with psyllid, they're very hard to see without a magnifying glass, right? So people really need to go out on the internet and look up tomato psyllid um, from a uh, maths website or whatever and have a look and see the photographs of what they look like, the adult, which is once again only a a flying insect that is only two or three millimetres uh, in size. Once again, if you see them, you probably think, oh, it's just a little midgy fly. Um, but no, it's an adult psyllid. Uh, the nymphs, you need a magnifying glass to see them on the foliage. You can uh, see their droppings, which are like little pieces of sugar on the foliage. Uh, that's their droppings. And you've got to ascertain whether you've got them or not. If you haven't got them, well, that's good. Um, it's another problem. Um, and basically, I think best thing to do is people ring me up on the 0800 number and um, have a bit of a chat, and I can discern mm. what the problem actually is. And some people send me photographs, email me photographs, and and so forth. Well, there and you go. And if they've got the psyllids, what do they do? Well, that's a good question because if the populations are fairly great, really, they're too late. They've missed the boat. Mm. Um, they could spray with neem oil, chemical insecticides and so forth to try and keep the populations down. but. Um, one female 
psyllid will lay 300 eggs. It's only a matter of two or three weeks, depending upon temperature, that 300 more females are going to lay another 300 more eggs. Mm. So your population could be up in the millions within a couple of months. Okay. Next question, Wally. I've got loads of cabbage moths in Kiri Kiri. Now, when they say cabbage moths, uh, I presume, and being Kiri Kiri, it's the army moth that they're talking about, which is a moth that lays its eggs at night time because that's when they're active. And there's literally untold of these in the northern part of the North Island, um, creeping south over time. It's causing a very big problem for gardeners and commercial growers because they've got untold of them. And one thing that can be done, when you initially plant your brassicas, cabbages or whatever, and you check the seedlings for eggs on them, because quite often when you go and buy them from a garden centre and take them home, um, there's little yellow eggs on the plants already. And if you plant those without wiping the eggs off, of course, those little caterpillars will hatch out and start devouring what's they without any new infestation happening to the plants. Once they're clean and you plant them, my suggestion is crop cover. Crop cover is a white netting, which is very much like the same netting you would use in a scoop for whitebait catching, right? Mm-hmm. That, that mm-hmm. sort of net, right, this plastic. It lasts for years. You get some alkathene pipe, the rigid stuff, not the soft stuff that you use for irrigation in the home garden, but the stuff the farmers use, which you can get from Bunnings and places like that. Um, and you make some hoops. The hoops are going to be about a metre high in the centre, and then the ends are stuck in the ground, right? Over that, you put your crop cover, the white, what's the name? On the far side, you hold it down by putting soil along the far side. In the front side, you're going to put four by two or whatever to hold it in place there, and at the end, similarly. So that means you can take your four by two off, you can fold it back, you can go and weed, do whatever, and then put it back down again, right? The crop cover means that birds, butterflies, insects, aphids, um, cats, all the pesky things, possums, <laughs> can't get to your crop and, and destroy it. And it creates a microclimate underneath that. So the plants very grow much faster, for sure. Oh, wow. And that doesn't reduce the light too much? No, um, it does knock it back a little bit, of course. But when we're dealing with brassicas, we've got big leaves, a big mm-hmm. leaf plant. Now, big leaf plants don't need so much sunlight because they've got big leaves. They've mm-hmm. got a bigger solar panel to catch the energy. Okay, Wally. I'm in Amberley, North Canterbury, and a few weeks ago the white butterfly here was horrendous. We had clouds of them. 
My lemon tree is absolutely covered in white butterfly now, and it's such a big tree. I wouldn't even know where to start to get rid of it. Okay. Now, he's saying white butterfly. I think it's not butterfly at all. It's white fly. Mm. The little wee, what's name? Because I've never seen in my long years of experience that butterflies really attack lemon trees other than maybe um, when the flowers are out, the butterflies collecting some nectar from the flowers for the energy, but that's it. They're not going to lay eggs there. They're not going to do anything at all. But white fly, different ball game, right? And particularly on citrus trees and tomatoes and a few other plants. And with citrus trees, it's so simple. You get our Wally's neem tree granules and you sprinkle them from the trunk to the drip line underneath the tree and give them a light watering. The oil from the granules seeps out, gets into the soil, gets into the roots of the citrus tree, and then translocates the properties through the whole tree. Within six to eight weeks of doing that, under normal circumstances, your tree will be clear of all insect pests, scale, borer, whitefly, blah, 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 without having to spray or do anything. That's a magic. That's that. a mag. That's a magic product. It, it is. It's a, and it works extremely well on citrus trees. Um, and even a tree that's like 20, 30 foot high cleans the whole thing up. Hmm. Hi, Rodney. Ask Wally about treatment for myrtle rust. That is something dangerous and will kill a hedge. Yes. Yes. And I have not experienced it myself. And I haven't had any feedback and looking as to what MAF and so forth say about it, they haven't got an answer. Now, oh, wow. Myrtle rust, of course, spreads um, through a number of our native plants and, of course, it's in the bush and it, it gets carried away. There hasn't been a lot of talk about it in recent times. My thoughts are, Using a spray of potassium permanganate, which is Condi's crystals, and that's a quarter of a teaspoon uh, to a litre of water. Adding to that sulphur powder, sprayable sulphur powder, and adding to that also um, liquid copper, and adding to that as well, we've got four things in here, some rain guard, right? And to spray with that. Also, there's a possibility to build up the um, the health of the um, plant by once a month spraying with perfection and also, of course, magic botanic liquid on a regular basis. Mm. A lot of things, plants are like us. If we get a distress, we catch a cold. Plants are the same thing. If they get into stretch through lack of water, too much water, not enough sunshine or whatever, then they're more vulnerable to catching a disease. Mm. Right? And 
by building up and fortifying the plant, we can um, help reduce the stress aspect and hence keep it healthier looking. Um, I, I, I had an interesting conversation um, with a chap just recently about his roses. Now, he, he loves his roses, and he had been spraying the roses diligently with shield and super shield, two chemicals which I think are still available, bloody expensive, but his roses always have black spots, right? He, he couldn't get on top. Shield is a chemical which does more harm than good in so much as initially it works against fungus diseases and against pests. But those pests, because it's a poison, and those diseases become immune to it. And all it does then is make the plant uh, unhealthier. It's, it's like ourselves. If we have an infection, we're given an antibiotic, right? The antibiotic zaps the infection, but it also takes away a lot of our good um, microbes, bacteria, mm. whatever, right? So then we have to refortify ourselves to build up the goodies, right? Uh, and the same thing applies with plants. Their immune system is hampered as a result of these chemical poisons, and hence they're more susceptible to having black spot rust or whatever. Years ago, when I didn't have enough brains and I was also sucked into using um, shield and um, products like that, I, I knew and I could see instinctively the harm that they did. They killed the insects, solved a problem, and caused another problem. So what I used to do is I used to put plant food in with the spray. So they're getting a bit of goodness along with yes. the chemical. So that helps them recover a bit quicker. Mm -hmm. um, but it's best not to use those at all. And this chap was saying he got onto the magic botanic liquid of ours. Which I, which I love. And he said his roses are beautiful now. They've come back after all this time of having to use the chemicals. And I've seen the same thing happening too. Years ago when I was uh, had a garden centre and I used to deliver um, plants and stuff and compost to people, and I remember an elderly couple who loved their roses and they were always out there with their shield and super shield and rose fertiliser and nitrophosca blue and their roses were always bloody horrible. They got to the stage as time went on that they couldn't garden anymore, right? And so, in a sense, they let their garden go to rack and ruin. But the roses, after a couple of seasons, were able to restore themselves naturally <laughs> without all this chemical rubbish, and they were yeah. beautiful again. How amazing. Now, <clears throat> tell me about watering, Wally, this time of year. Okay. Ideally... If people have got the time and patience and they want to lose the stress of day-to-day -day living about what to buy 
auntie may Myrtle for Christmas or something, you know, all, the, all that stressful things, um, is hand-watering with a wand, right? So you get, you know, the wands that you buy in uh, garden centres, it's your hand, and it, it's got a rose spray or what it's adjustable, you can do it different. But with the rose-type spray, is go around and hand-water all your preferred plants. The reason is, while you're doing that, any little weeds that have popped up, you can pluck out while you're watering, right? So you're, you're keeping the weed problem at a bay. Secondly, you're looking at the plants. And when you're looking at the plants, you'll see, oh, there's some aphids on that one, or this one's got a problem, or whatever. So it's kind of therapeutical, and it's also being a doctor and being able to determine has your plants got a problem or not, right? If you're dealing with, uh, say, your cabbages and you haven't used crop cover or whatever, while you're watering the cabbages, you could be fussing through the leaves looking for the caterpillars or the eggs and squash yes. them, right? Yes. Um, and, and when you're watering a plant, does it make a difference if you water the leaves or just water the ground? Well, rain comes out of the sky, and I've never seen rain just water the ground. No. No, no, never. So if you're water now here's the problem, though. If you're using chlorinated tap water in your hose and you're watering over the foliage, you're putting chlorine in over the foliage. Not very good. And worse still, you're putting it into the soil where all the microbes and microcilia and fungi and worms are, which you want, you're killing them mm. because that's what chlorine does, right? So most important, you put a filter, housing filter, which we have for $160 complete unit, snap onto your hose at the tap side, and then you go and water your garden. And that water is just about as good as rainwater then. And a drip system, which I have have, because I thought, oh, this would be good because I'm lazy, may be a bit of a negative because you're not getting the water on the leaves. Um, rainwater coming out of the sky has nitrogen, so that's good value. And And after... A shower of rain, you can see plants picking up because they're getting a bit of nitrogen growth, right? Your tap water's not going to have that, even with the filter on, got rid of the chlorine. Um, over the foliage, because the plants absorb moisture or liquid or plant foods through the foliage, you've got a situation, particularly in the summertime, when um, the Plants perspire or transpire moisture out to keep themselves cooler, just like we sweat to do the same thing. So watering over the foliage can be an advantage. I tend to do so in my glass house um, because, of course, I'm not exposed to rain, and it tends to wash off some aphids or whitefly if they are present on the plant, and it gives uh, some moisture into the foliage where it doesn't have to come up from the root system, mm. right? So it's, it's nice in that respect. Now, here's an interesting one. 
yesterday I contacted my supplier of VaporCard and I and they rang me back and said, if you want to get VaporCard, you better get in quick. I said, why? They said, well, over in the Hawke's Bay, they're having a heat wave at the moment and all the commercial growers are buying up VaporCard left, right and centre to spray over their fruit trees. I said, really? And they said, yes, well, because it prevents the fruit from getting burnt in the sun. And it also helps the fruit to ripen better and also hold after you've picked it mm. for a longer time. So I bought up a whole pot of vapor guard and I thought, well, I've never struck that before. I never thought about it, though I had heard that in the past with vapor guard. But no, they spray it over the fruit trees, apples, etc., and uh, they end up with a better crop. But you do not, and this is most important, put any chemical insecticides, fungicides with it because vapor guard lasts for up to three months on whatever you sprayed. And if you have a chemical in it and it's over fruit, of course, you're putting chemicals on the outside of that fruit, which is not going to wash off easy. Now, I am a totally haphazard waterer. So I work on the basis that water's a good thing, almost can't have too much of it. If my plants, if the ground looks dry, I pour on the water. I don't flood it, obviously. But how do you work out how much water to supply your garden. Okay. If you're watering by hand daily, what you're doing, because you've got, in, in natural circumstances, not containers, but uh, you've got underwater in the soil, um, the underground water, etc., which is rising up, right? When you're watering on the top, you're reducing the amount that has to rise up. Right, and on a daily basis, it works a treat. Um, if you go for a week or so without watering, then you may find that when you do come to water, the water doesn't go in. It sits on the surface because the surface tension has got so great that it won't allow water to penetrate, which is quite dangerous too because if you have a lot of rain suddenly, like some places are, it's happening with, with this climate alterations that they're doing, um, then you have a flood. You, you lose topsoil. It's a good idea prior to rain. You know it's going to rain. It's going to water your garden. Oh, really? Yeah. Because Just so it won't run off. It'll soak in. It will soak in, right, and less chance of flooding. If you do have surface tension and the water doesn't penetrate in, there's a very simple thing to do, and that is you get your watering can, you get some warm water, you get your dishwashing liquid, which is the only application in the garden for dishwashing liquid, nothing else. Never put it with sprays, waste of time, and it's detrimental. And you give it a good squirt in your watering can, and then you lather up with your hand, make it a bit soapy, and you water that over the dry soil area. 
Now, it's very noticeable in a lawn, which we call dry spot. In other words, you might even have an irrigation system, but there's an area of the lawn that won't accept water, and it's brown grass, and around the circumference of it is lovely green grass because all the water's going there, right? So you get your watering can with your dishwashing liquid, water that over that, breaks the surface tension. Next time you come to water, hey, presto, it goes in. The same thing applies with container plants too. Most important, because the potting mix dries out, you water, and you think you're doing a good job, but the water actually goes down the side of the pot to the source of beneath, and the plant doesn't really get much of a drink. And within a day or so, it's it's got its tongue out again, it's thirsty, right? Because the water's not going into the total mix. So once again, some dishwashing liquid, water that over the, what's that? Or the alternative, if you've got a smaller pot and you're able to, you take your container and you have a sink or tub or bucket or something and you plunge it into the bucket of mm. water. Mm. goes underneath and it bubbles. The more bubbles it has, the drier it was, right? When it stops bubbling, you can lift it up and let it drain and then hang it back up or sit it back in a saucer or whatever. With container plants, this time of the year, ideally, where practical, but you should plunge them all. Mm. So that would suggest you're better to do a little bit of watering often rather than a big water because that big water is going to be ineffective and you run the risk of drying out when you're not watering. Yeah, and the big water may not penetrate into the soil. When you have a dry uh, field, you know, like playing field in the middle of summer, um, drought time, all the grass has gone brown, right? You think the whole lot's dead. They're not actually dead. Um, they're just hibernating, sort of, waiting for moisture to come back. Hmm. But it takes a bit of watering or a bit of rain to break the surface tension to get the grass to come back again, right? And eventually, if it rained every two or three days for two or three hours, that would be ideal because you're progressively breaking surface tension mm. with the water. Well, that uh, dishwashing liquid's a good uh, tip. And so what we're talking about now, ladies and gentlemen, is over the Christmas and New Year, get your winter crops ready. You're going to be planting them through to March. And cabbages, carrots, collies, lettuces, broccoli, all the good stuff. Wally, it's our last interview for the year. It's been a blessing to get to know you. Thank you. And you're very popular oh. with the listeners. I have to say you're very popular, particularly with the ladies. Really? Yes. Well, I can still go to the supermarket without a disguise. Not yes. like you. You, no. you, you, have, you have to put me in dark glasses <laughs> and a scarf and, and a mask so I people do. don't know it's Rodney. I do. Now tell me, Wally, what have you got? What have you got planned over the Christmas time? Um, good question. We'll be busy, of course, this time of the year, um, sending products out, uh, mail order. Um, it goes sort of crazy. Um, 
the book is selling very well. Um, with, of the 500, I think we've sold over 300 of them so far, so there's still some left. Um, and, yeah, it, it will hopefully, in between answering emails, telephone calls, and I can get out and do a bit of gardening. Uh, that, <laughs> in fact, I'll tell you how bad it is. Um, my partner's um, son's girlfriend, she um, wanted to uh, earn some money and she's been helping out with packaging products and so forth, and she's got stuck into the garden. She's weeded my gardens. She's oh, even yeah. weeded places where the grass was like, you know, up to my waist high type of thing, and I hadn't got a chance to get around. The place is looking bloody lovely. Yeah. <laughs> That's embarrassing, Wally. You're having your, uh, what is it, your daughter-in-law. Um, Doing the gardens. Yes. Now, do you sort of have a break and have some pavlova and ice cream, pudding? Yes, yes, and, and, and then jump on the scales and see how much damage was done. <laughs> <laughs> do you... um? Do you take a holiday? No. Um, I have no desire to go travelling around the countryside. My partner and her son, um, you could say daughter-in-law, um, they, they do. They travel all over the place. They, they just came back from Auckland, spent the night up there, and brought a whole lot of stuff back for our Filipino food shop. Um, and I, 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 I've got an older brother, Peter, and he's seven years older than me. And I was talking to him not so long ago. And we was we were going to take him over to our other brother who is in Napier. And I rang him up to see if he's organized to go across. I was going to drive him across. And he says, Look, thank you very much, but I prefer to stay at home. And I, I think I'm a bit like that now. It could be in our genes, our family, yeah. that um, I've got no great desire to go flitting around because I, I did that for years, mm. travelling technician, travelling salesman. I, I, I would do like several hundred miles a week driving around all over the place and occupation or whatever. Nowadays, I just like to be at home, put my Isn't feet up. I'm a I'm it might be an age thing, Wally, because that's where I'm at too. And you know, I um I struggle to go to functions, I struggle to travel. Um, I need a pretty good reason because um there's always something to do. And um I find travel now quite stressful. I find flying on a plane horrible because you that going through that security just drives me. Take your shoes off, take your hat off, strip down. Oh, you set the beeper off. You're standing in this queue and you're feeling as though you're being herded like cattle. So that troubles me. I still like driving, but I don't know whether it's just me and whether my attitude to risk has changed. But man, oh man, I notice a lot more dangerous behavior on the roads. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard some incredible things. Um, one person from the South Island, a farmer, um, we, we got talking about, you know, the strange things happening, ex-COVID, ex-jabbing, and he said, it's not uncommon. He said, I'm way out of the country, driving into town, 
to see the odd car that's gone off the side of the road into the ditch. He said it never used to happen, and there's no obvious reason for it to happen. It's like people either fell asleep or or lost the plot or something and drove off the side of the road. Well, I had never seen until a couple of years ago someone ever pass on a yellow line. Now I see it consistently. Yeah. And then just on uh, Sunday, I was driving back from Waimati, and I'm always telling my wife, you know, when we learned to drive, my father taught me that assume that when you're going around a corner, that there's something bad up ahead. So go slow so you can stop because you're blind going around a corner. Mm. And I came around this corner, and I hadn't been taking my father's advice, and here was a, a car on the wrong side of the road hurtling towards me at a great pace of knots. And this driver had come across a farmer and his tractor and decided he'd pass. But it happened to be on a blind corner with me coming oh. out of the way. Yeah. And, uh, tragically, we just had a neighbour killed. Um, we didn't know him particularly well. But we had a neighbour killed out on our highway um, on Saturday. And it would appear that he was heading off into work. He worked for Nadia Lim. And he was heading off to work here. He was a caricature or something. What do they call it when they deal with meat? And someone had had a big night the night before coming home at 8 in the morning, it would seem. There'd been some police alerts about this driver. Killed him. Actually, and, another thing I've noticed, and, and it never used to happen, but people are making funny mistakes. I've, I've had several people who put their telephone number down, but they, they reverse the last two digits or they yeah. get the last digit wrong, right? Um, yeah. And suppliers, um, they send you stuff that you didn't ask for and didn't give you the stuff you wanted. And it, it's kind of like people have lost the plot. Not you everybody. Think yeah. No, I have noticed it. And it's like, and then when you do pull them up, they go, oh, okay. It's just odd. I don't know whether it's we've become more couldn't care less, more selfish, whether the jab is affecting people. Yeah, well, Hatchet, um, Hatchet brought this up, yes. the psychological aspect of affecting yeah. their mental uh, what's-names. You know, like there's been, according to what I've seen on uh, from him or elsewhere, a lot more suicides, a lot more, you know, people having mental breakdowns or whatever. Uh, X jabbing, and I, I, I think it's going to be an interesting year and not a very nice year for a lot of people that um, are still suffering effects from those um, jabs. Well, that's a good thing to end on because we do want to put for our thoughts and our prayers all of those that have been vaccine injured and have been Denied care, denied recognition, denied a platform. And hopefully next year we get a proper COVID inquiry where they can come forward and explain to those in power what they've experienced. And um, let's hope next year that this 
excess deaths starts to come down. Yeah. Because in a strange way, you feel vindicated for all the rubbish we took, but these are real people dying. And um, again, um, next year is going to be revelatory for all of that because we're gonna there's going to be I think the floodgates might open. Well, Wally, merry merry Christmas to you, my yep. friend. Thank you. I look forward to picking up with you in the new year and for my gardening. I can't tell you how much joy it's given me and my family to become a gardener. It's another first uh, for this year. And for all our listeners, can I wish for Molly and I a very Merry Christmas, some good gardening times. And remember, too, the origin of Christmas. It's the birth of Jesus, the greatest man that ever worked, walked this earth, came to us, God's son. Thank you, Wally. Send me a text, 2057, email me. Inbox and, at reallycheck.radio. And if people have a problem, they can email me or phone me on the 0800 number and uh, I'll be around to answer their questions. What's your 0800 number again, Wally? It's 0800 466 464. And the email? wallyjr at gardennews.co.nz with one N in Garden News. <laughs> There you go, everyone. Thank you for being with us. Yep. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Well, here's a headline that uh, caught my eye yesterday. Rotorua Lakeland Queen owner told to build new jetty, then gift it to Iwi and lease back. What? So the situation is, is that Terry and Raywind Hammond Terry, 76 years old. They've been operating the iconic Lakeland Queen, which provides a cruise and a dine on the on the lake for 36 years. COVID pandemic lockdown hit. So it forced them to go into hibernation and 15 staff made redundant. Now they want to get the business going again. I don't know if I mentioned this, but Terry's 76, still going, get the business going again. But he has to restore the lakefront jetty, which is going to cost him up to $460,000. Oh, good. He was prepared to do that. Turns out, though, that... uh, he was told he would then need to gift the jetty to the iwi. And then the Ta'awa Lakes Trust would lease it back to his business. He understood it. he needed to pay for the jetty maintenance. Mr. Hammond said he had no idea why this was necessary. In his view, the whole thing was preposterous. He said at the start of the project and in preliminary discussions, he understood a jetty would be built and he would pay Tarawa to lease to use it. Somehow that morphed into us paying and building the jetty and then 
paying to lease it back. Oh, my goodness. He went on to say that the council paid the trust for a licence to occupy sections of boardwalk that passed over the lake bed. So how did this come to pass? Well, back 20-odd years ago, the government was doing a treaty settlement. Margaret Wilson was in charge, remember her? And she, as part of the settlement, gifted the ownership of the lake bed to the local iwi. And she said, and I've got her press release. The press release is dated, I want to just explain it, 15th of December 2003. Ah, 20 years and one week ago. And she asks questions and answers. And she says, will structures on the lake beds be effective? Oh, no. Quote, existing structures such as jetties, boat sheds, or permanent moorings will not be affected. So Mr. Hammond and his wife, they've got a jetty, so they shouldn't be affected. Oh, but they've got to repair it and build a new one. So they're calling it a new jetty. And Margaret Wilson went on to explain, individuals or businesses that wish to build new structures on the lake beds will need to ask the permission of Te Arawa after the settlement. Te Ara will have the right to charge rent for the use of the lake bed in such cases. So, new structure, replacing the old one, you've got to go and get the permission of the local iwi, as well as the council. All good, you think? Oh, you might have to pay rent. Ah, we could probably manage a, a modest sum. But no, Tara won't give the agreement unless Mr. Hammond pays for the jetty, builds the jetty, maintains the jetty, gifts it to the local iwi, and then rents it back from them. I think that's called extortion. And everyone's washed their hands of it. And of course, Margaret Wilson, she's long gone from politics. This is 20 years on, and the Hammonds are left to deal with her settlement. When, if you read her press release and the discussions in Parliament, none of this would ever be a problem. But tell that to the Hammonds. And of course, this is an early experience of co-governance because the idea was that the local iwi and the local council would sit down together and decide the use of the lake bed. Now, no one could imagine the council saying, oh, yeah, no, we'll let you do the, um, we'll let you build uh, your jetty and yes, you can maintain it at your expense, but we'll take ownership of it and we will lease it to you. Council couldn't do that. But the iwi can. Because, according to legislation, they own the lake bed. And you need their permission to do your development. And to get their permission, you have to give them the jetty. Send us a text with what you think of that, 2057. Email me at inbox at 
www.radio.radio. Thank you for listening. Oh, my goodness. How are you ever going to reverse this one? You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. For my entire life, for over 50 years, we have been assailed by headlines and stories of doom and gloom, that it was getting colder. No, it's getting hotter. No, it's changing the climate. And that what's causing that climate change is everyday people, you and me, just going about our business, trying to look after our kids, put food on their table, get them to school, educate them. We're causing the environment to cook or to freeze. Used to be freezing, then it became hot, then they couldn't decide, so it was just climate change. And now it's just bad weather. We're the cause of it. The cause of it is CO2 and methane, which are a consequence of farming and industrial production. Everything that makes the modern world possible and to support, what is it, seven or eight billion people that live on the planet today. That's the cause. That trace element of CO2. We pump a little bit in, and it goes from 350 parts per million to 400 parts per million. Oh, my goodness. We've got to stop it. Over and over and over again. The money that has poured into this is into the trillions, I'm sure, for research. You couldn't get research in science when I was doing science in the 1980s unless it was to do with climate change. There was no money to proving it was rubbish. There's all money for proving it was true. No surprise. The scientists leapt on board and, of course, the prescriptions. Because how do you stop climate change if you don't smack down on the release of CO2 and methane? So we're actually out there getting rid of cows and dairying. Most beautiful food in the world, milk. The only food, I think, I'd love to think of something else, the only food that was made for mammals, everything else we've sort of taken. But milk is produced for mammals. Cheese, meat, all bad. Cars, bad. Industrial production, bad. Fossil fuels, bad. Again, everything that makes the world great. And what's the... What's the consequence of this? Well, we have to concentrate enormous power into our central government because it has to set a cap on how much CO2 we can each admit and then to charge us for it, to discourage it. So we have an emissions trading scheme. But oh no, that's not enough. We've got to make it difficult to drive your car, to park your car, to get about, to do your jobs. Oh, hop on a cycle and you can bike to work and bike the kids and do your and do your shopping with your kids, on your cycle. Of course, if you're Al Gore, 
politician. No problem. You can fly by private jet. Harry and Megan, private jet. While all the time you pontificate about something you know nothing about. The extraordinary thing about all of this is none of it is true. I came to that shock realization over quite a while because I couldn't imagine that scientists would mislead us. It was in the late 80s, early 90s. I came to realize it was just not true. And I've kept up with it because it was sort of an interest. And none of it is true. The only place it exists is in the models where it's assumed to be true. And of course, every prediction that's been made over this 50 years has been disproved, which is remarkable. Even the direction of travel has been disproved because it started off as global cooling. Oh, no, it's getting hot up. Oh, it's bad too. Oh, the Arctic was to disappear. Snow was to disappear from Europe. You name it. We were to be flooded, this, that, and the other thing. And yet, in all the measurements that we make of the Earth, no big changes in parent. Of course, the Earth is getting warmer like it has forever. And then it'll get cooler like it has forever. But it oscillates around a mean. And here's a scary thing. The planet is starved of CO2. If you're a plant, you're gasping. There's no downside to increasing the CO2 in the world. And it wouldn't warm the planet. Indeed, there's no downside to warming the planet a little bit. But the headlines, the fear, it's been overwhelming. And so we come to Wellington Council. Oh, in trouble because it's got no money, wants to put rates up, wants to go cap in hand to government for more money. They have a webpage. It's in Maori, of course. Anapa o te horanga o harangi. Sorry about that. It's called Climate Change Anxiety. Are you suffering from it? We're experiencing, this is their webpage, we're experiencing more severe weather events such as floods, droughts and wildfires. All of a sudden, the things we heard talked about for decades are here and they're real. No, they're not. There's no different now than what it's always been. In fact, it's a bit less. But no, it's here now and they're real. Isn't that sort of the start of a movie plot? This can be stressful and as a result, people are experiencing Climate change anxiety, also known as eco-anxiety. It's easy to feel overwhelmed when we feel powerless. This is your jolly council talking to you, your Wellington council. This is how they talk to us, like we're children, with our money. It's easy to feel overwhelmed when we feel powerless. We need to recognize the boundaries of the control and influence we have on issues and focus our energy within those limits. Luckily, there are a number of practical steps you can take to manage climate anxiety. This jolly webpage about climate anxiety is making me anxious. Trying to scare me about the climate and then talking about me being anxious is making me anxious. But actually, when I think about it, I'm more anxious about my rates 
We struggle to pay our rates and they're doing this to us. That's where the real anxiety comes from, Wellington Council. And the twerp that wrote this and put it up on the webpage. Oh, so here's what you do about recognizing, uh, here's how you deal with your climate anxiety. Number one, recognize what it is. So, climate change is a challenging topic. We're dealing with something the human race has never faced before. It is important to recognize these feelings are normal and valid. There are no rule books on how we can deal with this. So be kind to yourself and know you're not alone. No, you're just going to die in 10 years because the world's boiling and it's your fault, but be kind. Two, talk about it. Talk to family, friends, yada, 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 and share your feelings. Understand other people's views, even if they might have different views. Yeah, like me, climate change denier. Three, make it personal. Take action and advocate for change is a great place to start. Oh, so I'm anxious, so now I'm going to advocate for everyone to do something. Think about the things that are important to you, the products you buy, how you travel, the political action you take. Oh, yes, you've got to remember to vote the right way. Vote for the right councillors. Vote for the right political parties. Otherwise, you'll be anxious. Take part in community-based action. Connect with like-minded people is a great way to share your views. On and on and on. And then this bit of bump. Be present. Some climate change information is challenging and focusing on them too much can become overwhelming. Try to switch off, meditate, and get some personal perspective from time to time. Remember, there are many positive stories to focus on. Go and hug a tree. What on earth is going on? The person that wrote that and posted that up wouldn't have not one clue of the science of climate change or of the many holes in it. They just take it as true. They've gone out of their way to scare you with their opening and then to sort of care for you by showing you how to manage your anxiety. So it's like this caring kindness but it's all rubbish. It's all untrue. It's all nonsense. It's all designed to get you to vote a particular way and to surrender your life to the state. Because only the state has your interests at heart. And only the state can deal with this problem called climate change. It's only the state that can stop you and everyone else from emitting too much carbon dioxide. It's only the state that can save the life and the planet. Well, my observation of the state is that it's good for nothing much except waging war. And I don't like wars, so the less state there is, the better we are off. You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Send me a text, 2057, email me inbox at Radio. Trevor Mallard made a speaker's rule that Assange activists protesting at Parliament would not be allowed to collect phone numbers and emails from attendees there, also petitions. Totally unlawful. Poor Trevor. He doesn't, he often, he often acts without thinking, that man. And 
there was a time when he helped me. And so I have a soft spot for Trevor. But it just goes to show that we are complex. No one's all bad. No one's all good. We're a mix. And so um, it's hard to believe, isn't it? But Trevor gets um, into so much trouble. And so he should. I mean, he did trespass me. And turning the sprinklers on, playing the music, revolting stuff. But like I said, I've known him a long time, and he did help me once. And for that, I have a soft spot. Hi, Rodney. I love listening to your show and realize we think along similar lines. I've even forgiven you for the dancing with the stars performance. <laughs> wow. Thank you. Not so as yet with Seymour. I'd like to send that question you mentioned today to my MP, read the questions to the Minister of Health on the data released and their comments on the Steve Kirsch analysis. I think many people would also like to send their respective MPs. Could it be added maybe to the RCR bites? Peter. It's been done, Peter. Thank you. Hi, Rodney. Great. Serve, delivered the formless fins in the wreck. Well done, Garrick. Hi, Rodney. Can you please ask Dr. Trotter when is she going to call out this jab genocide? Lots of people would like to know. Was she involved in it? That's a tricky question. That's a tough question. We got Dr. Sherry Trotter to talk about her area of expertise, which was Zionism in New Zealand, for which she's just written a PhD. So I don't know what her position on the jab is. I truly don't. And it's for her. Listening to Rodney Hyde at the moment and his excellent guest talking about the true history of Israel. All best wishes and have a fantastic Christmas. Jeremy, thank you for that, Jeremy. Good morning, Rodney. Excellent discussion with Cherie this morning. Thank you. Regards, Peter. Hi, Rodney. What a wonderful interview with Dr. Cherie Trotter, giving such an authentic history of the Jewish situation. Keep seeking the truth and bringing up this perspective that's not aired on legacy media. Alistair. Have just now listened to your interviewing, Dr. Cherie. You keep referring to the people of Gaza as Palestinians. Please research the origin of the term. It was invented in the 1960s after the 1967 war to identify those Arabs who were told by Israel's neighboring countries to leave Israel until it was defeated, with a view to then return to own and control Israel's land and other resources. Interesting. There has never been a Palestinian state with institutions or borders or international recognition. The whole region was called Palestine originally by the Romans after they sacked Jerusalem in the first century and wanted to remind the Jews of their old enemy, the Philistines. Anyone living in that region can identify as Palestinian, be they Palestinian Arabs, Palestinian Jews, Palestinian Turks, even Palestinian Americans, etc. Anyone born and living in that region are Palestinian. Not only Arabs, not only Muslims, but of any family heritage or ethnicity, and regardless of religion, we are being played to long-standing sire. Arafat, for example, although he was born in Egypt, identified himself as Palestinian when he headed the so-called Palestinian Liberation Authority. The PLA was formed for political propaganda purposes to characterize a particular group of people who identify as Palestinian as victims in need of special treatment. Our battle is as much a battle of semantics. We must choose our terms carefully. Consider alternative terms and labels, e.g. the residents of Gaza instead of Palestinians, or residents of Judea, Samaria, instead of the West Bank, etc. How interesting. Thank you, Christopher, for that. 
that's a great um piece of information do you think rodney might be able not to talk about the strip for a month or two it's the only downside to rcr rodney's obsession well i won't be now because it's christmas rodney what an amazing woman dr sheree trotter is thank you for finding this woman i feel very proud of my mary heritage when i heard her speak the truth about israel maori and hamas god bless people like sheree well it's tough we can't satisfy everyone some things i talk too much about the middle east other people enjoy it some people think i've got the wrong idea other people think i've got the right idea but we talk about the issues of the day and i think that middle east is a big one and i think so too is ukraine but sort of for another reason because americans and the west got behind the hurricane and it clearly hasn't got a hope of winning and we fought a proxy war there and caused hundreds of thousands of people to die and now we can't seem to admit to it and i've never liked mr Zelensky. it's never been a liberal democracy so i think it's been misled it's amazing how it's been replaced by israel too but both those conflicts are important because i think they could shape the world for better and for worse also i would suggest shape the news and how it's reported and how we understand it like I said, I, it's not that I think I have the answers, but we have with RCR and our community an ability to talk and discuss these things. And I think we should. Because otherwise, we're being led, despite the headlines we're reading and the articles that we're reading, which are hurting us a particular way. Huge shame. Oh, I've jumped uh, 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 an email. Rodney, great to hear Diney. That was the Dinny, Dinny Vilder Van Cleef interview. Dinny on RCR. Men, the family, have been signed up for the last two years at least, have carried out must-not-be-vaccinated cards since then. Good for you. Hi, Rodney. Snap. I'm wearing the T-shirt today. Unhappily, I tried to use the control group card once to enter the Takaka Library during 2022 programs and was necked back by an acrimonious refusal. Ah, good one, Janet. On mainstream news today, the one and only Michael Baker told people to be in ventilated spaces for Christmas. Does he not shut up? With the fifth COVID wave not, get, not getting boosted. Finally, some sense. I think we have our whistleblowers to thank for that. Yes, people not getting boosted. Yay! And Drew and Michael Baker stay ventilated wear a mask stay home be miserable be like him hey rodney vff had a t-shirt i bought a year ago that said i'm in the control group got one for me and my dad about a year ago steve sarah boyle a huge shame that mount hobson in person school closed this year that is a big shame i did not know that oh my goodness i love that school i would hate to think that the kids we're the kids who have gone to that school would be if they hadn't had the school online learning is a different paradigm 
Well done, Rodney. I enjoyed your discussion with uh, Syrah Boyle regarding the COVID-19 horrors. I find you to be thoughtful, a gentleman, and the way you ask for further detail to be very helpful. I like the way you relate with the person you're interviewing, drawing them out. Thank you, Rodney, from Liz. Thank you, Liz. That's so kind. Totally agree with what a bonus to hear about the school who supports diversity, learning in a different way. Curious about those with special needs, too. Hi, Rodney. I really enjoyed your interviews today with Control Group and Online Schooling. You're a very calm interviewer who I really enjoy listening to. I was a teacher aide for 23 years before I was mandated out. Mandated out. Just love RCR, Chris. Oh, well, I'm sorry, Chris. Imagine that. Very experienced teacher aide. Bye-bye. Don't take the jab. Bye-bye. And the kids. They all miss out. Remember, get in early. Send me a Christmas text, 2057. Email me, inbox at radio. Do love hearing from you. Thank you for listening. Check out our brand new RCR Foundation Members Club. Go to www.realitycheck.radio slash members and join now. There you have it. It's Reality Check Radio. Real talk with Rodney Hyde last show of the year. Feel a bit sad, but oh, what a great year it's been. It's going to be even better next year. Oh, we love Mary Hobbs. I so love that woman. I so love her writing. It's beautiful. And it feels as though she's speaking for me. And even when I'm reading about things I hadn't thought about, I feel, yes, that's me. So wonderful to talk to her. And how wonderful is it to talk always to Wally Richardson, to be inspired and given the knowledge and the tools in terms of what to do that we need to put our hands into the earth and to be part of nature and to grow food for ourselves and for those that we love and of that wonderful ecosystem of the soil. Have a great break. Can't wait to next year. Can't wait to be with you again next year. Flick us a text, 2057. Email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Until then, bless you all. May your break be filled with happiness and love and joy. Thanking you. You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio.